Lord. Good morning. My name is Matthew Rojek, and uh, I'm an elder here at Mac. My wife and I, Betty, have been down here for about five years, and it really is my pleasure and my joy to be able to bring the Word of God to you. I wanted to say thanks so much to Pastor Eric and Pastor Leon and the worship team. It seems like there was enough scripture and great theology between uh, Bobby reading our Advent responses and the worship. I mean, literally, we could go home right now having feasted well on the scriptures and the understanding of the gospel. So honestly, thanks, Pastor Eric, Pastor Leon, for doing a great job, like making sure that we're hearing the word of God. Uh, we have Bibles. Uh, if you guys need a Bible before we get going, would you please raise your hand? The pastor's bringing them down. Johnny's bringing them down. Just raise your hand. We'd love to hand one out to you. Again, if you're part of the congregation, I say, hello, family. Good morning. It's great to have you. If you're new here, uh, welcome. And if we goof up and don't introduce ourselves to you, would you please make sure you say hi to us so we can just welcome you, pray with you, exhort you, encourage you in the gospel. And I did want to say uh, good morning, especially to Ann and Wesley Adams, who are joining us from True Life on uh, Gratiot. They're friends of my daughter, Martha. Ann serves on the administrative team for BSF, Bible Study Fellowship. And uh, they've been serving the Lord for a long time, and they're godly uh, husband and wife. So welcome. It's great to have you guys here. One thing, just real quickly, the reason we have it dark here, we talked a little bit about this last week, is we are in preparation for the celebration of the light of the world coming. And so it's just a physical reminder that the world was in darkness until Christ came. And there's still darkness here. Okay, because his kingdom hasn't fully come. But this is just a physical reminder as we prepare ourselves for the celebration of the light entering the world. For those of you who did not hear Alvin's message last week, may I plead with you to do so. If you did listen to it, may I beg you to go back and listen to it again. Alvin did a wonderful job preparing the table for the next three sermons, mine and two more, and preparing us for Advent. Now, although he ruined that song for me permanently by Louis Armstrong, what a wonderful world, he did so in such an excellent way. How he explained, we sit there and we're joyful and we're hearing this song and we're hearing or seeing the butterflies and we're enjoying the sunshine and smelling roses and everything's joyful. And then what did he say? And then we go back after the song ends and we think about our unbelieving spouse or our kids who have turned aside from the gospel or the sorrow of losing a child, not having a job, having our utilities shut off. Man, there are sorrows that abound. I mean, Eric's rejoicing over a prayer request, and then what's the next one? I mean, man, we're laughing, and then the next one is, man, just sorrow and grief. And as Alvin set the table for us, what he said and what the gospel is all about is that we are strangers and pilgrims in this life. The scripture says that. And if we're putting any stock in this life being our fulfillment, we're going to be terribly, 
disappointed. Now, there are joys, there are happinesses, there are fun things that we celebrate. I love nature, I love water, I love snakes and iguanas and turtles. I mean, I I love that stuff. But that is not what I set my foundation on. And it's imperative that we not do so. Again, here, if you're new, if there's a question that you have while I'm sharing the gospel, please raise your hand. Again, it's a little bit hard for me to see up here, but please uh, raise your hand if you want to ask a question. Just make sure that it's pertinent to what we're talking about. And basically, we're going to kind of have a two-fold message today. There's going to be a bit of a narrative role-playing that I'm going to do, and then we're going to dive into the scriptures. So let me pray. And after I'm done praying, would you stand for the reading of the Word of God? And then we'll get into it. Oh, Heavenly Father, what joyous words as we sing, nothing is wasted. Lord, for that little boy who said he's got a, he thinks he's a bad boy. Lord God, you are drawing him to your side. Lord, we know that the sorrows that are in our lives are for one reason, and that's to point us to Christ, to point us to the hope of eternity because we are strangers and pilgrims. This is not our kingdom. So we rejoice at the coming Savior. We rejoice in the light that he brings that lights every man. Father, I pray, give us ears to hear. Father God, give us a palate that is thirsty for you, for your word and for the truth of the scriptures. In Jesus' name, amen. If you'd stand, please. For unto us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And peace is what we're talking about. So go ahead and have a seat, please. So in English, the word peace conjures up a passive picture, one showing an absence from hostilities or one within a person that is absent from internal or external strife. But the biblical concept of peace is much, much larger than that. And it rests heavily on a Hebrew word, which means to be complete or to be sound. Now, when I was doing some research, I looked up what the antonyms, what's the opposite of peace. There were words like anxiety, distress, agitation, war, worry, unrest. But my suggestion to you is all of those adjectives are nothing more than the fruits of fear. All of those things are born from fear, which is the opposite of peace. So most of you will know me by my nickname, a moniker given to me that is not very flattering. I hate it. Why? Because it was a name that used to be mine. It's no longer who I am. I was born into an average Jewish family. Siblings, 
man, we, although we had normal fights and everything, I thought we got along well. I thought we cared for each other. But boy, was I mistaken. Had a great set of parents. Dad uh, led all the siblings as we took care of our flocks. And he always was reminding of us of this invisible person, this God. And it would be just joyous to us. We'd be feeding the lambs, milking the cows. And all of a sudden, Dad would stop. He'd call all of us around. And he would try to explain an analogy or something related to what we were doing that spoke of this creator as he tried to encourage us in that. And he said that this creator, this invisible God, has spoken to man. Even though he's invisible and we can't see him, he's spoken to man and he's done so in really two ways. In nature and creation, we see his hand evident, my father would say. Look at the wind. We can't see that, can we? Well, you can see the fruits of it. And he would continue to explain who this invisible creator was. But he said, this creator's greatest explanation of who he was was in common man and woman. And that even though man and women were flawed, they could, in a shadowed sense, express in relationship who this God was. So again, grew up in a great environment where my parents offered us both mercy and appropriate strictness. And as we were taking care of the, uh, the herds one time, it dawned on me that soon I was going to be coming of age. And I'd heard so many things of the adventures of life outside of a small town that we lived in. See, we were raised outside of the large city. So, man, I, I thought about it, and I made up my mind to go to my father and demand what was rightfully mine as a man. I wanted my inheritance. And as I saw the sorrow in his eyes, I had to harden my heart against that. I saw his lip quiver and his mouth open as he wanted to say, Son, Why? But he didn't. He said, you're right. You're a man. It's time for you to be out on your own. So went to bed. Next morning I awoke. And next to my bed as I put my feet out on the ground was a small satchel of coins that was my inheritance. My siblings were furious with me the night before as they heard what I had done. And so, man, I I just packed my bags and I snuck out the back door. I didn't even say goodbye. But in my mind, now that I had the financial resources to live this life away from the bland monotony of pigs and cows and lambs, I set my sail for the big city. Now, by now you probably probably know what my nickname is. The prodigal son. That word is a miserable taste in my mouth. It's wayward, the rebellious one, who selfishly took my father's hard-earned money, 
squandered it on riotous, evil living. I let my family down, my community down, and the name that we held that was in high esteem in our community was now shamed. But as I said, I've got a new name. So I want to tell you how I got to that part. So you probably all remember the story. You remember the part where I'm standing in the pig pen. And in your language, it says, I came to my senses. Well, the reality is, that's what got me in trouble in the first place. I squandered my inheritance on all of my senses, visually, in food and drink and wine, and many other things that I'm just ashamed to mention. But while I was standing there, I made up my mind to go back and that if I had to live as a servant under my father's household, I would. And a strange thing happened at that moment. A sense of overwhelming peace came over me. And on the one hand, I'm thinking in my mind, I have no future. How can I possibly get a wife without finances? I've already squandered my inheritance. My siblings hate me. But nonetheless, I made up my mind to go back and ask my father's forgiveness and if I could be a servant. So as I was walking, I got to the edge of the land and I saw one of his hired hands see me. And I beckoned him, please don't, as he immediately ran to get my father. And again, at a great distance, he was talking to my father, and my father turned and looked and saw me, and as he began to run, he turned back and said something to the servant. servant ran into the house, and as my father ran to me, pretty quickly the servant caught up to him because my father was old and he was running slow. I immediately fell to my knees. And as shame overwhelmed me with my head bowed, I could see my father's feet standing in front of me as I was looking to the ground. And as I began to ask his forgiveness, he put his hand under my chin and lifted it up. And he gave me a new name. He said, My son that was dead is now alive. Son, you are welcome. And with that, he put on me a new garment, a new robe, a new set of clothes. And he set a seal of promise on my finger, the family heritage. And at that moment in time, all of the analogies that he had spoken of this God that he would barely whisper his name, Yahweh, came to light before me in the flawed man that stood before me, in the shadow, shadow-like character of Mercy, 
I did not deserve his kindness. I deserved shame. But in that one act of lifting my chin and giving me a new name, my, my second epiphany happened. And in a sense, I was born again. My father said, you were dead once, and now you are alive. Amen. Enter back into my grace and favor. And immediately I thought of this God and the expression that he had given me through my father. Philippians 4, 6, and 7. If we could go backwards. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, shall guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. The peace that is my presumption that came over the prodigal son is that peace. His understanding was that he had no hope for the future, no finances, no hope of a bride, no hope of anything but shame. But the peace that passes all understanding came upon him, and he humbled himself by going back to his father. So let me ask you a question. What was, what was your nickname? We heard one this morning, bad boy. What was your nickname? Now, we're going to talk about that a little bit later, but I want you to think about that. And let me assure all of you that are here, in fact, if, in case you're a, a visitor, regardless of how dignified the person sitting next to you looks, they've got some nicknames, and they're equally as bad as yours. Whatever you think yours is, you're in good company with the rest of us. So what does this have to do with Christmas? Again, Isaiah 9, 6. We're going to talk about the Prince of Peace. Jesus is the Prince of Peace, and he rules now in the kingdom that he possesses, you and I. So we're going to talk about three points briefly. His kingdom, although specifically of eternity, can and still does influence the here and now. And I I want to paint this picture for you guys. Remember Jesus is standing before Pilate? And Pilate says, hey, don't you know who I am? I can do whatever I want with you. And what does Jesus say? He says, this ain't my kingdom, because if not, snap my fingers, your army would be dead. Jesus knew that his kingdom was future. John 14, 27. Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. Not as the world gives, I give unto you. Let your hearts not be troubled, neither let them be afraid. Again, I want to step backwards to Alvin's sermon last week. We sing this happy song, reality sets in. Which peace are you going to choose? Are you going to choose the peace of the bank account? Are you going to choose the peace of, uh, hey, my spouse is nice to me? Are you going to choose a foundational peace that even when everything surrounding you looks miserable, 
as you're a prodigal. But you know that foundational peace is there. Isaiah 26.3 says, You will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is set or stayed on thee. I don't know if you guys know this. The uh, greeting, grace and peace, is used in 18 of the last 22 books of the Bible in the New Testament. Why? I mean, man, I, this is, I, I just think this is brilliant. The grace of salvation and the peace of, but you're not home yet. You're not home yet. And you are going to suffer persecution, which brings us to our next point. We are promised distress, persecutions, and troubles in this life. But this is not a contradiction to him as the Prince of Peace. They are parallel and not conflicting ideas. Again, you and I must have the mindset of eternity. We're walking in this world and we're doing the things that we need to do. We're going to college. We're trying to get a better job. We're providing for our children. All those things, those are okay. As long as in the back of your mind, you recognize it's not our home. This is not our kingdom. And then you turn around and you go back and you say, eternity is, it's going to be okay. I got a peace for foundation. I got his peace for foundation. It's promised me I have that peace. So they are not conflicting ideas per se. Because the peace that we get has nothing to do with this life. It has to do with promises made. It has to, has to do with our new names. Sons and daughters of the Most High. Brothers of the King. Matthew ten thirty four says, Do not think that I've come to bring peace to the earth. I've come to not bring peace, but a sword. So I want you guys to understand this duality that's happening. And then Romans twelve eighteen: If it's all possible, live at peace with all men. That's an exhortation to you and I. Working with your hands, minding your own business, leading a quiet life, 1 Thessalonians. And, you know, number one scripture, Matthew 28, 18. What's the last thing say? Never going to leave you. Never going to forsake you. Never going to leave you. Never going to forsake you. Hebrews 13, 5 talks about being content. So last couple of points. We have dual responsibilities here when it comes to this quest for peace. The first one is a faith filled in believing what the Gospels say. And I, and I, I hope I can explain this the way it's in my brain. John 14, 6, Jesus is talking, and what does he say? No one comes to me except the Father draw him. Romans talks about it's not your decision or your choice or your will, but the will of the Father that determines salvation and the course of life. And if you guys... If you know me, you know this is probably my life verse, Hebrews 4.1, that says, Let us fear, lest a promise of entering into his rest 
any of you should seem to come short of it, not mixing faith with what you've heard. What I've heard is, I'm the son of the most high. What I see is unemployment, injustice, divorce, cancer. I mean, how many other things do you want to name? Am I going to mix faith, believe in God at his word, with the promises that God has told me? He's promised persecution and all those things, but he's promised me eternal life apart from the damnation of hell. Suffering will be dead. There will be no more tears. There will be no more sorrows. Will you choose that rest? If you are a believer today, and that's a big if, if you are a believer today, make that your choice. And then, man, praise the Lord, Colossians 2.14 talks about blotting out the handwriting of ordinances. That was against us. Nailing it to the cross. And I'm going to keep referring, whoever wrote that prayer request, bad boy, all of us have those same nicknames. They're written down, and they were nailed to the cross, and the blood of Christ flowed over them and eradicated them from us. That is no longer your name if you are a believer. You have a new name, son and daughter of the Most High. Romans 5.1, Therefore, since we have been justified with by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Does that say we're going to get it? Is it a present possession? It is a present possession. Now hear me, because this could go sideways, and I don't want it to. You have a bank account, and in that bank account, you have all the peace you need. Do you want it bad enough to go get it? Because that's the second component of our responsibility. James talks about, he says, I'm going to show you my faith by my works. And what are those works? Jesus tells us, ask, seek, knock. You'll receive. It'll be opened. You will find. Think about the tenacity of some of the characters in the holy scriptures. The blind man on the side of the road. Hey, what's, what's going on? Oh, Jesus is walking. Man, he starts belly aching to hear Jesus come to him and everybody's yelling at him. Be quiet, you're embarrassing us. You're humiliating yourself. What about the woman with the issue of blood? Man, I'll guarantee you on the way to the parade, she's saying, if I touch his garment, if I touch his garment, if I touch his garment, maybe if I get in his shadow, if maybe I get into his shadow, because the Bible says God is a lover of me. And he is a healer of me. 
I think sometimes persistence gets a, a bad name because we think sovereignty of God. Yeah, I don't know where the persistence of us fits into this whole thing. But I'm going to tell you, they're not conflicting ideas. They are parallel ideas. God desires us to be persistent. If not, let's just give up now. Why bother going to college? I mean, honestly, why bother doing any of those things? The scriptures and Christ calls us to persistence. And that's in direct opposition to the country we live in. Man, America, 50-yard dash. But as believers, we are in a marathon of our life. And we need to be persevering in the scriptures. Romans 8, 6 says, For to set the mind on the flesh is what? But to set the mind on the spirit is life and... Okay. Man, praise the Lord. Great scripture. So, um, in our mind, is our mindset set on what a wonderful world in the here and now? Or is our mindset on our current life is not about us, but it's about him? And are we willing to bite the bullet and recognize that there's a duality constantly going on here? Now, man, please, like, get this next section. Colossians three fifteen through 17. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body... You are called to peace and be thankful. How does that happen? Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Mindset on flesh, death. Mindset on the spirit, peace. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. That's the only way that that's going to happen. And admonish one another with all wisdom through psalms and hymns and songs from the Spirit, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord, giving thanks to God the Father through him. The whole point of us gathering here in the morning, the whole point of discipleship, both one-on-one and Mac group, is that we admonish one another. Because guess what? It's not that wonderful of a world. And there still is darkness. And in the midst of that darkness is the hope of Christ that as believers, it is our duty and our imperativeness to admonish one another. And you're not going to be able to do that if you don't know the scriptures. Is your mind set on the flesh or is it set on the spirit that you're memorizing scripture? That in your discipleship, one-on-one relationship time, in Mac group, Are we cracking jokes? Are we being sarcastic? Are we talking about dumb stuff? Or are we admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, being grateful, being thankful, knowing what the future is? Because we have our hearts and our minds set on the hope of the gospel of Jesus Christ. So some takeaways, pretty simple ones. Are you a believer without peace? I think we're going to talk about five things. Is it physical? Do you drink five Mountain Dews a day that the sugar blows your heart up or your mind up? Seriously, I'm a complete idiot. I drink coffee, and every time I do, 
my heart races and I'm addicted to it and that's just stupid that's stupid it steals my peace don't don't do stupid stuff physically take care of yourself take care of your body eat right exercise those are just some natural things okay two is it mental is there too much on your plate are you dropping balls left and right are you letting your disciples down are you letting your mat group down whatever it is and i'm not talking about guilt and condemnation i'm just talking about the reality of life is your plate too full do you got to say no do you got to exit stage left on a couple of these things Is it spiritual? Are you neglecting obedience because you're choosing sin? Do you choose sin? Even though you know better, do you on a regular basis choose sin? Because, man, that's not a good place to be. That's why we do discipleship. So people can call us to account. Hey, brother, how are you living your life? Are you sharing the good news of Christ? How about the struggle? Are you overcoming? Are you gaining victory? Are you renewing your mind? Are you speaking the Psalms to yourself, to your friends, to your neighbors? Man, I, I would admonish you. Flee from sin. Do not let it overtake you. Be willing to talk to your discipler or your Mac group, or a one-on-one. Do not fall um, to an isolated place of trying to run that course yourself. That's why we live in community. That's what the gospel's about. Number two, is it Jesus only? Not him and. Is it Jesus only? You know, I've been reading some of the old guys. I love the old guys. And I shared with my Mac group last week, I'm, I'm trying to come to grips with this whole thing a lot of these guys are talking about in your meditation time in your prayer time in your worship time man shutting your mind out to everything but him and meditating on who he is i know i've shared this with you guys before and i'm just going to do it again i really struggle with pain and sorrow in the world how could a good god do that Is he not paying attention? Is he mean? Is he impotent? And you know what I always got to do? Okay, I'm looking there, the worldly ideas. I step back and I say, but he let his own son become sin. All your nicknames, all those handwriting of ordinances that were legitimately against you and I, Jesus put them on his back and bore the stripes that you and I might bear health and new names, sons and daughters. Are you doing devotions? Or are you devoted? You know, and I'm thinking in my mind, I know a lot of us are pretty task-oriented, and we don't want you to be Pharisees. We don't want you to be Pharisees where, yeah, every morning I get up and I got 10 minutes, babe. Stopwatch goes on, 10 minutes, I'm done. And in my mind, I'm thinking of Nate Egger. Probably the busiest guy I know in the world. 
when in the world does he have time for devotions? But you know what? In my mind, the way I see Nate, he's devoted. As he's walking the taproot, as he's walking to the emergency room, as he's getting two hours of sleep a night, whatever it is, his heart is devoted to God, and in the midst of all of those things, he is worshiping the Lord. Does, does that make sense? I, I, I don't want you guys to be so caught up that I don't have my 10 minutes in the morning. Right? I don't have this schedule. I think schedules are good. I think it's important. I think we ought to all strive towards them because if not, it's easy to just like flounder, on, flounder out into nothingness. But I wanted to use the example of Nate because, man, his life is so hectic, I could almost guarantee you he doesn't have one set time. And Nate, forgive me if I'm wrong, but he's devoted. Those of you who know him know that. He loves the Lord with all his heart, soul, mind, and strength. And I want to honor you in that, brother. Quiet meditation. It's imperative. How else are we going to hear the Holy Spirit? How else are we going to hear the Holy Spirit? You guys know one of my other life verses is when Jesus is going to send and the disciples want to hang on to him. He says, man, it's imperative that I go away. If I don't go away, comforter's not going to come. Comforter speaks to the Father every single day, and he will reveal to you the things that he's had discussions with the Father with about. I mean, look around. What, 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 is, what is our... Um, I don't even know what's the word. What's the descriptive of Macav? Diverse. Young, old, white, black, Asian. Man, we got, we got everything here. That also includes personalities. And in that is the life of the believer imperative that you specifically know God's calling on your life. It's not the same as mine. And the Holy Spirit wants to reveal that thing to you. He, yeah, he, he lives in you. He wants to reveal that to you. And lastly, and again, I, I just think this is just huge. Patience. Time is his. It's not ours to direct. If you're doing those other four things, I believe the Lord's going to answer your prayer. He's going to come give you peace. And if he's not for some reason, wait, persevere, look for the hem of his garment, cry out to him, ask, seek, knock, pay attention to the Holy Spirit. And this one's hard. Again, I, I wish I had an easy answer for you, but it just boils down to patience. You got to wait. I mean, man, I feel like we're having a baby with this Salvation Army Church thing. Man, like, I'm, I'm, I'm ready to give birth, baby. I, I, I want this thing. I, I, I want to see the money in the bank account. But guess what? We got to walk. We got to work. We got to ask. We got to seek. We got to knock. So I, I want to go back to a couple things we've hit on, and I'm just closing. Brother and sister in Christ, does your old nickname haunt you? Does your old nickname haunt you? I'm assuming that there might be somebody here who is not a Christian or who thinks you're a Christian, but you're not. 
And a man, I want to call you the carpet if you think you're a believer and you're not living the life of a believer. It's pretty clear in the scriptures what a believer is. We can put different names and all this other jazz, but the reality is saying a prayer one time, walking an aisle, because you talk to the man upstairs, whatever the garbage is, there is a way that seems right to a man, and there's the way of the gospel. The gospel includes repentance, acknowledging who you are. Like, man, I love that prayer request, whoever that kid was this morning. What does he say? He, wrote, he, he said what Romans says. Man, things I don't want to do, I keep doing. Things I don't want to do, I do. I don't know if I got that right. You guys know what I'm talking about. <laughs> I don't do the things I want to do, and I do the things that I don't want to do. That's what the prayer request was, right? That's every one of your and my request. So I want to exhort you. If you're a believer, man, reject the lies of the enemies of your old nicknames. They were blotted out, written. Christ paid for them. If you're someone here who thinks you're a believer, but you're not living that life, might I implore you to pay attention to that? Because the fruits of your life, in large measure, that are evident to other people are going to tell whether or not you're a believer or not. Again, I don't want to get into Pharisee jazz. I don't want to get into law. But please, the Bible says today is the day of salvation. Don't wait till tomorrow. Plenty of people here to talk to. Come down, talk to me. Talk to one of the pastors. Talk to one of the elders. Do not leave the sanctuary without being assured of your salvation and being able to rest in that. So now we're going to enter into a time of uh, tithe.